Hi, this is George Thorgood. Hey, this is Pat Travers. Hey, this is Steve Lukather of Toto. Hi, y'all. This is Charlie Daniels, and you're listening to Jimmy Warren. Right, everybody. Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to Guitar Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in today. You know what? Today we got Joanna Connor. That's right. You know what? She just made a brand new album called 4801 South Indiana Avenue. Now, it's a mouthful, but that name has some significance to Joanna. It's actually the address of the old Teresa's Lounge on Chicago's South Side. It was a blues venue that everybody hung out in. For a long time, back in the day, Junior Wells hosted a jam there. And then when Junior passed, my good friend Billy Branch stepped in and started hosting it. So the who's who of blues in the city of Chicago, that was where they went. Now, this album is produced by Joe Bonamassa, and you know there's a lot of great people that are on it. Reese Winan, you know who played with Stevie Ray Vaughan, is on this album. Uh, Josh Smith, who has you know been engineering and playing and producing for a slew of people, you know he's also a part of this as well. It's a well put together. Um, you know, piece of music, that is for sure. Now, she's going to tell how this thing was made, you know, and some of the things that went into it, which are really cool. But you're going to get to learn a few things about Joanne, hopefully that you don't already know, um, you know, because she's, you know, she's been around, man. She's just been on the blues scene for a really long time in the city of Chicago and everybody's, you know, really happy for her that this is happening and uh, it's really kicking off the way that it is. Now, before we jump into the interview, I want to let you know that this is available in video form at YouTube. You can go to Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren on YouTube and you can actually see the conversation. You can see Joanna if that's what you'd like to do. Um, okay, so we're just going to dive right in. You know, here we go. Here's Joanna Connor. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Real good. I'm real good. We finally got to connect. Yeah, finally. Oh, you poor thing. You know what? It, it's I'm, I don't know if you remember when we talked early on uh, during the, you know, when this whole pandemic thing took place. And stuff like that. We were going to do an interview, and I remember it was right at the time where, you know, the realization that there wasn't going to be no work was starting to hit a lot of people, and so uh, a lot of people just wanted space. You know, I remember. I remember your name. I'm like, why does this name seem familiar to me? Well, we've I actually, we've actually like, met. What was that? We've actually met. So I've, I've actually sat in with you. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. When? Oh, it's been. Probably the mid late nineties. Okay, so yeah, I feel like uh, my children both took whatever memory banks I had left when they were born. <laughs> I gave them; they took it all with them. I'm like, yeah, I gave you my brain power. There you go. Yeah. yeah. You so, sorry. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, I get, I get it. You know, you've been uh, and you've been around a really long time. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's got to feel really good to be at the spot that you are now. I mean, you know, given the whole right thing, which we, we you know, we're not going to get into, but it's got to make you feel really good because now you got an album produced by Bonamassa. Man, you got great players, Reese Wine and Josh Smith. Oh, man. 
That's kind of feel good. It feels well when it all happened, started <laughs> happening last year. Oh boy, my dog, <laughs> baby. No, sit down. Good girl. When it all started happening last year, well, all these amazing things started happening via the internet. Um, well, it had been happening for a few years, but last year in particular, like I had Tracy Guns got me a Gibson endorsement, the, you know, the guitars from the Guns and Roses originally and now the LA Guns. And then Vernon Reed from Living Color was like really into what I was doing. And I was a huge fan of his. And then Joe jumps on board and all, I was like, this is, is this all happening? And yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then part of me was like, really, this has to happen right before the world crashes. And I thought, well, it could be a blessing because, boy, if you, you need all the firepower you can get now to try to survive this. Oh, yeah. Well, and not only that, I think you, you got to have a launching place in order to get, to get kicked back into it because yeah. I don't know. I don't know how crazy it's going to be, you know, for everyone. Yeah. I think everybody's going to be duking it out to try to get them gigs. And yeah, because there's going to be a lot less of them. Yeah, there's going to be a lot less of them. Now. But yeah. you've got a great platform. And so I, I'd really like to talk to you a little bit about how you really fell into the guitar, because that's a story I don't know. And um, because it, it's it's hard to, you know, to be a staple at Kingston Mines and Blues on Hall said, so I mean, you got to you got to have something going on in order to be able to do that. And so yeah. how did you get started? And what do you think are a few of the things that, you know, uh, led you to where you could, you know, be a staple at Kingston Mines? Oof, yeah, that's a lot. That's, were you ready? I'm going to probably talk yeah. for the next minutes. <laughs> there you go. That's what that's what I'm shooting for. OK, well, it's so funny. My mom and, and she passed a couple months ago at 90. She and I had a funny relationship all our lives. We, we loved each other, but we fought like crazy. We were one of the two of us just, even as a kid. And one day I wake up and I was like, I kept asking my mom, I'm like, mom, I want to take ballet lessons. All the girls in second grade are taking it from the Charlotte Klein dance studio. <laughs> and I want to, and she just said, okay. And she didn't. And I was like pissed off. And then one day I wake up, she's like, well, the breakfast, he goes, she goes, here, you're going to take guitar lessons. I was like, what? Yeah, no dance lesson, guitar. I got you a teacher. Here's your guitar. You're going to take classical guitar lessons. I was like, okay, whatever. So I played, I studied with a guy that was really, really amazing. This is a Massachusetts where I grew up. And um, he actually studied with Segovia, you know, like yeah. one of the, he was heavy. So I played for a couple of years and I, you know, it was okay. And then I was just like, I don't want to do this. This is really boring. I, I want to go out and play baseball or whatever. And then I took up guitar again at 14 and got a, a an acoustic. And once again, my mom comes through with like a guitar teacher with someone she worked with. Her husband taught guitar. One of her coworkers said, yeah, my husband teaches guitar. And I go there with my little classical guitar, my classical guitar book playing. He's looking at me like, oh gosh. And he goes, yeah, I, I teach Delta blues and ragtime you want to learn that? And I'm like, yeah, I knew what blues was. My mom had played it for me all my life. And I'd seen Buddy Guy when I was like 10. So it wasn't anything I didn't know about, but I was like, you know, I didn't know about Robert Johnson and Blind Blake and Memphis Minnie and Blind Lemon Jefferson and all these old classic blues. So he taught me that. I got a regular acoustic and he taught me slide, which I didn't even really know what it was. I'd heard it. I was like, yeah, I see. I've heard the Stones do that, you know, and he's like, well, I'm going to teach you. 
So that was the only guitar lessons I really had. But then once I started dead at 14, I never put it down. And I always loved music, like my whole life. Like I always, in my bedroom, I was thinking about it. I had flowered wallpaper. And I remember being a little, little girl singing to the flowers, imagining it was an audience and having, yeah, like I could tell my dad would be like, Joanna, go to sleep. Stop singing and go to sleep. <laughs> it would be like, oh, la, 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 to me to the crowd and, you know, making little, you know, things on the front porch. And so I was always into it. And then I played saxophone all through school and all through high school. But then the guitar was like the second thing. You know, they thought I was going to go to Berkeley and play saxophone. So those always, and I was singing in the chorus and blah, blah, blah. So music was always a part of me. And then when I joined a first band I auditioned for, because a friend of mine, she was a drummer in our jazz band in high school. She started playing in a real band and I would go with her. We were both underage, but I don't think they cared so much back then. And um, I was like, man, I want to get in the band. And she's like, well, let me let me see. I think I know someone. So I got in my first band in Massachusetts and I was like 17. They're all in their 20s. And I started playing gigs and got my first electric guitar. And then it just became something I just couldn't stop pursuing. Yeah. But music was always something that um, it came, it was just so, I would say music chose me. Like it just, it was something I couldn't live without even from as a, as a little girl. And I think, I think a lot of kids, you know, pretend they're a rock star or whatever, but like literally I spent hours and hours and hours listening to every kind of music, like jazz, blues, rock classical stuff i used to get the spaghetti stick out pretend i was a conductor i was always doing something so it was in me and i think what i brought what what i think what was given to me as a musical gift was kind of like i could always feel rhythm always like it was never an issue for me to to feel any kind of rhythm whereas with some people that's a problem so there was some kind of soulfulness to me if you want to call it that anyway and um I don't know. I, now I look back, I'm like, maybe it's because I'm Irish and Jewish. I don't know. The most, uh, <laughs> the most, the white people with the most blues. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, so that might have been part of it. But yeah, so when, when I moved to Chicago, I, I mean, I really went with an attitude of being a student. You know, I wanted to be a guitarist more than a singer. And I started going out every night of the week and meeting people and, and getting in a band pretty much within a couple months with Dion Payton, who was the guy I wanted to play with and, and being in the house band at the checkerboard and being at the house band at the Kingston mines. And um, I was, you know, I was one of the only females and only white females <laughs> to yeah. have gigs like the mines. And I guess what it was is, um, you know, I was trial by fire for me because I was on the South side of Chicago where it was at least half African-American, if not more, and they loved me. And I was always like, okay, so I've got something to give here, you know? So I think that's what, I mean, I don't want to pat myself on the back. So it's what it sounds like I'm doing, but it's just the way it was. And so, you know, I brought something to the music that I could hold my own at a place like the Kingston Mines, you know? Mm -hmm. So there now you that, go. That, uh, the city of Chicago, it seems like at one point in, uh, was so different musically and what i mean by that is is i i used to go to to roses and sit in with buddy scott 
Yeah. Know, which left, which led to gigs with Lefty Diz, and I did some work mm -hmm. with H.P. Reed, and you know, yeah. a bunch, you know, a bunch of different people played a lot of those same places and stuff and that. But it seems like at that point in time, if for when some of them older guys were around, they were so welcoming. They, they, if you were eager and you were respectful, it was like they were willing to kind of almost take you under their wing to some degree. Do you, do you see that today? Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned Buddy Scott. It just makes me smile because the last few years I've been playing with his grandson, Jawan, the bass player. Okay. Talks about his his grandpa and, and how he would, he's influenced so many guitar players like yourself. Yeah. Was like, you know, training them in a sense and giving them knowledge. And, you know, he told me his grandfather would like, make him like practice like at four or five years old no you're gonna practice and you're gonna play bass and i mean he's one of the best bass players in my opinion in the country and um so that's cool but yeah it was a different atmosphere i mean for one those guys like ac who is absolutely a marvelous human being and eddie shaw and magic they're all contemporaries the way otis rush i mean there might have been a little bit of an age difference but their generation it was like they loved you, but they were tough on you. And they were tough with each other. You know, they loved each other. But, you know, when you get up to guitar battle, it, you know, they weren't going to back down. Like, you had to bring it, you know. Right. Um. So that whole culture kind of, I mean, that was such a huge, I mean, everybody's pretty much gone. Like, when I see Buddy Guy, you know, like, recently, which was last year, he'd say, Joanna, you and me are the only ones left from the old checkerboard. And I was like, damn, you're yeah. pretty much. Right, you know, so the nowadays, I mean, the scene is still good. There's still good people playing, um, and there's there's some there's some welcoming um, people that that are really nice and kind, like you know Mike Wheeler and different people. Oh yeah. But it seems that whereas we when we came along, we were like say in our twenties and thirties or teens, and these older guys are mentors. Well, now there's really very few younger players coming forward anyway. So it's like, yeah. there's a few, but not a lot, not like our age group where it was like really a important thing. So that's, you know, that's been kind of unfortunate. So it's hard to say, but it, it's definitely not the same as it was at all. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it seems like the atmosphere is kind of, you know, but, it, but, but a lot of that of course is because of the people then, you know, yeah. They were different people, and it was a different they were. and stuff like that. It's just kind of sad to see that that that's not there because that's one of the things that in, encourages people to to go on. You might not go on to be like you, you know, and tour and put out albums and stuff like that, but you you may be inspired to play guitar your whole life. True, you know, as opposed to give up after a little while because you can't don't feel like you're getting anywhere. True. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, that, that is the truth. I mean, that's why I learned so much because when I came along, you know, they were willing to let me sit in, they were willing to give me pointers or, or yell at me or whatever it was, you know, right. It was my education. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. What would it be like if I came around now? Yeah. I don't know. And it was different for me because I was a female, I was young. I was a novelty. I mean, yeah. I think even now, if you're a female that comes along with a guitar, you might get a little bit more welcome than, say, a young guy. It's like, yeah. oh, here's a with a guitar. You know what I mean? So, right. right. Yeah. So was it a conscious decision, though, to, to make the slide a, a major part of who you are as a player? 
because you know it's really it's really something that sets you apart because like like you said a minute ago you know there's I, I, there's hardly any female blues players out there that play slide, you know, there's a few, but not too many, you know? So, mm -hmm. so was there something that was it a conscious decision or it just happened? You know, like really it was a happy accident. Cause like I said, when I took that, those few years of guitar from that guy named Ron Johnson and Worcester mess, he was only showing me slide. And I was like, wasn't something I was looking for. He's like, yeah, I'm going to teach you this. I was like, okay. And he was such a great slide player and he was uh, um he was so strict with me about my technique and how I played every note that I couldn't have asked for a better teacher you know because I think that's what's given me you know an edge I guess over other people and I tell people I said you know I can teach I'm teaching slide and I'm like all you need is someone to show you the real minute aspects of it because it's very it's just a very everything's so tiny you know every little motion you make is so i mean it is anyway on the guitar but even more so with slides so anyway um and it just became part of what i did I, I guess i was good at it and it was unusual so i kind of adapted um my playing to playing a and on electrics i learned on acoustic and b uh in regular standard tuning a lot because you know i was playing with all these different people in Chicago. And it's not like, oh, let me go get out my other slide guitar now. You know, it's like, no, yeah. go, you know, so that yeah. made me adapt the way I played. And, um, you know, there's some women that play, you know, Samantha Fish plays some slide and Anna Popovic plays some slide. And, um, you know, Bonnie Raitt was definitely, yeah. you know, yeah. the grandmother of it all. And a woman named Ellen McElwain, who lives in Canada. There's a few, but there's still not a lot. I mean, there's not a lot of men that really play slide. A lot of them are like, I know some really good players and they're like, oh, I just can't get this. And they give up, you know, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool. So the album is 4801 Indiana mm -hmm. Avenue. If I'm correct, that's that's Teresa's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So some significance there for you. So the songs that were selected to be on the project, are those songs that were staple songs that you would do at, at Teresa's? Um, no, I mean, we when we were done with the record, you know, it was such a, a real Chicago blues record with like a real high energy approach. Yeah. So like, what are we going to name this? And he came up with the idea. He goes, what are some of the clubs he used to play at? You know, the really uh, famous old blues club. And I said, well, I played at the Czech or what? I played at Teresa's. And he's like, what was the address of Teresa's? And I'm like, well, let me look it up. And then he's like, let's name it that. What do you think? I'm like, <laughs> he goes, this really is a Chicago blues record. Yeah. And that was his idea. I mean, um, everything on the record, like when I met Joe, but when we, when he first like started retweeting some of my stuff. And that's how I was like, really? Joe Bonamassa? And he's saying these nice things about me. And so I messaged him through Twitter. I said, hi, this is Joanna Connor. Thank you so much. If you ever want to get in touch with me, this is my info. And he got in touch with me and I was blown away. I was like, wow. He goes, I would like to work with you. I'd like to take the unknown out of your equation and you deserve that. And I was just like, Oh my God. And he's like, uh, I'd like to do a record with you. He goes, but I got to tell you something. He goes, I want to have complete control of what you're doing in the sense that I want to produce it. I want to pick the songs. I want to bring out, he goes, I want to truncate what you do, capture your lightning in a bottle and put it out there. And I want to make a record that I'd like to hear you make. He goes, are you into that? I'm like, yes. 
whatever, <laughs> I'm like, whatever you want me to do, right. I will to the best of my ability. I have no whatever it is, you know, and I yeah. totally surrendered. But it, what turned out was, you know, and I was really nervous because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm with Joe Bonamassa. I'm, you know, the, one of the greatest guitar players I've ever heard in my life. And, you know, Josh Smith. And I knew Josh and he was a kid, so it wasn't quite as intimidating. But um, he, he was just so easy to get along with. And the songs him and Josh picked and arranged. And, and he's like, you know, we're going to set you up. We're going to put this band behind you. I'm going to play guitar for you. Josh, you're going to go in the studio. I just want you to play and sing and just kick ass. Yeah. Okay. So that's how it happened. Wow. So so they picked all the songs. Wow. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. wow. I, I know some of the songs are, you know, are, um, uh, you know, staple songs in Chicago. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it does. It's got a real, it's got a real, in my opinion, it's got a real South Side uh, feel to it. Thank you. It does. I mean, it sounds mm -hmm. gritty. Yes. You know what I mean? It's real gritty. It's just got that raw, raw. That's. I bet you the uh, uh, the people from Teresa's are probably you know thankful that you. you know, yeah. We'll that. see that. I think they will. I mean, what was so funny was I never realized I've played Roses and I, but I never spent as much time there as. Cause I was at the mines three nights a week and House of Blues the other night a week, um, and I never realized that that Tony that owns Roses was it was like so into Teresa's and said yeah that's where we first went and I designed a lot of my club after Teresa's so we ended up doing videos there for the record and I chose Roses and then the guy that did the videos goes you know he he modeled it after Teresa's and there's a picture of her there and I was like oh my god I didn't even think of that so yeah. it was kind of a kind of a cool you know happening that that happened like that it was a cool spot because it's like you know it's like the who's who of blues for the city of Chicago hung out in there I mean didn't Billy I think Billy Branch didn't he host the jam there forever he did and yeah. before that your wells yeah yeah just like mm -hmm. forever in that yeah and it was kind of heartbreaking it's kind of heartbreaking to see those kinds of places go to the wayside you yeah, know even before COVID yeah yeah, well, even with the checkerboard, I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a piece of history. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, how do you how do you tear it down or how do you close it down? And it's a piece. I'll of tell history. you one thing: the city of Chicago. When I first moved here, well, I first came here was Jane Byrne, and she was the mayor, and she seemed to really be into the cultural aspect of Chicago, the music and art, and she, but she was only a one-term mayor. I believe, and it's like they don't seem to care about it. They yeah. really don't. I mean, they have the blues fest and, but they don't, they don't, I mean, for one thing, it would be a great marketing tool for Chicago to really emphasize it. And there's a little bit of it, but not like it should be like, yeah, Muddy Waters house. It took forever for them to like, yeah, let's not yeah. tear it. Or the checkerboard torn down or yeah. Teresa's whatever. It's like those right. places, you know, I mean, they have Beale street. Yeah. We have stuff that's even way more historic than Beale street. And, it's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And I, I blame, blame the city for that. Yeah. I do. Yeah. You know, I, I've only been to Buddy Guys once since it moved. I can't go there. And, uh, you know, it's because the old place has so much historical significance to me. Yeah. You know, you think of all the people that have stood on that stage, you know, and graced that place, you know, and to just, you know, turn into a parking lot and move it a block down the road is... Well, that was, you know, Buddy didn't want that to happen. That was, um, yeah. 
Columbia College, which is right. a art school. And I'm like, you know what, damn it, they should have let him buy that building. It's a performing art school, basically. And it's like, yeah, yeah it me off. Like, really? Because yeah. I don't think he wanted to move. He just finally, I mean, it took years. And then I guess he finally wanted something close and something came up. But yeah, you're right. Some of the, yeah, you know, whole charm is just, uh, yeah, it's not the same. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, the uh, uh, album in that, you're kind of, I saw that your first show is in February at Knuckleheads. That all got canceled. Oh, it really, it's not, it's not. There's no, there's no shows. I have nothing. I have one show maybe in, in March with my band at a place called Hey Nani in Arlington Heights. And who knows if that's going to happen? I have no shows at all. Yeah. Not yet. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, this album's going to drop the end of February officially and they're starting the marketing campaign. I'm hoping that like, you know, somehow or another something will happen, you know, and I, I haven't really talked to Joe about like, Hey, can I tour with you? But I have a feeling like originally we were supposed to do um, a live set at buddy guys and record it like for a DVD. And um, he was going to have the same band like Reese and him play behind me. And you know, the way things are, I, I just don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't mean to like the, the doomsayer, but I'm just, I feel like kind of like everything's on pause. Yeah. 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 I know, I know some people have, you know, shows booked for the, uh, you know, summer or fall of 2021 and that, you know, nothing. <laughs> nothing. I mean, supposedly the things that got canceled uh, last summer are going to happen again. Like it, a lot of them were in Europe. Yeah. Uh, in some state, some U.S., they all promised we'd be back. But, you know, I haven't heard anything from my agent. So I'm hope. I think everybody's just kind of waiting and seeing yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. So are, are you giving le you're giving lessons to, mm -hmm. to pick up slack and that? Yeah, that's yeah. good, though. It's nice to yeah. invest in other people. Yeah, I feel it's, you know, at first I was like, oh, gosh, you know. I have some music training because of saxophone and, you know, I, I know basic theory, but so much of my guitar playing has been so much like pieced together from through right. the years. I can be able to teach these people, but I think it's been really interesting. You know, it's, it's not the same as, as playing, but um, it's made me think about what I do, which is good. And then also, I mean, I'm teaching a guy that lives in China, California, yeah. It, and so it's cool like I was like the other day I taught a girl in Germany a girl in New Jersey a guy in Memphis it was like wow all in one day you know so yeah. um it's been cool and they're they're getting something out of it like one girl said oh I went to the jam in town and it's the best I ever played thank you so that that's rewarding to me you know yeah that's really cool yeah that's that's really cool so are you as passionate about the guitar itself as you are about music or do you just see it as a tool in order to be able to express yourself? No, I really love the guitar. I mean, yeah. um, I'm not a passionate collector, let's say, but mostly that's always been financial. I mean, I raised two children and all my resources went to them. So one yeah. of them's in grad school. So I'm still helping her with like living expenses. So I never had the luxury of like becoming a guitar collector. Um, but I absolutely love the guitar. I mean, if anybody said, well, you can have one instrument you listen to the rest of your life or play, it would be guitar. I yeah. mean, 
the, the instrument itself is just so, it's so expressive. I mean, it's just like, yeah, piano's great, horn is great, whatever. I'm not taking anything away from them, but there's something about a stringed instrument that I feel like drums and stringed instrument that those are the most uh, you know organic instruments there are and unlimited what you can do with them. Just absolutely unlimited. So I love the guitar. Even if I didn't play it, I would listen to guitar players all the time. Yeah. Now, do you listen to other players outside of blues? Mostly I listen to people outside of blues, but to be honest with oh, really? you. Yeah. I, I mean, I love like a lot of fusion players. Oh, very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm big. You know, I love John McLaughlin. I love Larry Carlton. Yeah. I mean, Emmanuel. I mean, he's not a fusion. I, I listen to like um a lot of, traditional Irish music, you know, I, I just listened to a lot of weird stuff uh, outside of blues too. But right. I mean, there were, I spent a good 15 years of listening to blues like every yeah. day. Yeah. So I feel like not to say I turn my back on it, but you know, I, I feel like I like to listen to other, other types of stuff, you know, um, and rock, of course, I love rock, but I, I, I love, I listen to a lot of jazz and fusion just cause it's kind of, um, I don't know. It opens my mind up a little bit, but I mean, guitar, there's so many great, like people say, who are your favorite guitar players? I'm like, really? There's yeah. so many great players from yeah. like 1920 on up till today. It's unbelievable, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta end that question with the word today. Who's your favorite guitar player today? Because you know, it's like today you might be into somebody and tomorrow you're into somebody else. Yeah. That's cool that you take it now. Do you take uh, aspects of that other stuff, you know, into your own playing? Because I know I've seen you do Led Zeppelin tunes, you know, I've yeah. seen you do some, you know, some stuff that, you know, kind of rocks out. So, uh, mm -hmm. so are you taking the influences from there or do you think that they're filtering through your playing as well? I'd say the, the guitar player I listened to the most was Jimmy Page in my life. Yeah. And I, and I feel like, he creeps in there. Like I never sat and like try to copy his solos or anything, but I feel like he's probably the biggest, biggest influence on my playing. You know, I play like a lot of that, you know, acoustic kind of that Celtic stuff that he did. And then the way he played guitar, I just, I don't know. He just, he just does it for me. You know, I yeah. feel like he's one of the main influences for me. Is he the reason, is he the influence in you landing with Gibson, you know, as using Les Paul? Yeah, I mean, yeah, him and him and Dion Payton because Dion had a Les Paul, and I actually went to a show once at the Star Plaza Theater in Indiana, and it was like a blues show, and it was like Buddy Guy was on it, the Kinseys, and I don't remember the other bands, but I remember everyone that had a, a Gibson, their tone was just killing the Fenders, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I was like, scratch that, I'm like, I want a Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, all guitars have their own charm. Like right now, I, Michael Delaney built me a guitar from Delaney Guitars and it's beautiful. And I was like, you know, I want a Strat, but Strats are so foreign to me. He's like, you know, I'm going to build you a guitar. It's going to be shaped like a Les Paul, but it's going to have a Strat tone. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So he did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen photos of it. I, I actually know mm -hmm. Mike. I talked to Mike and that about the guitar. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and that, so you did you use that guitar at all on the new album or no it was that was last year so no i didn't have the guitar till a couple months ago so oh. yeah i wish i could have but basically i went 
Joe, I was like, Joe, do I need to bring a guitar? You know, I was going to Nashville. He's like, well, bring one of your guitars. And I've got a few here, he says. <laughs> like, yeah. yes, those two. <laughs> I've got a few. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, his few is uh, a few too many, probably. <laughs> it's an awful yeah. lot. Yeah, so he cool. knows about everyone he has, which is like, his brain is pretty amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like, you know, I don't want to talk about him, but it seems like he just lives and breathes this. That's it. He does. Yeah. He does. That's the way it comes I, across. Yeah, he's consumed with music in all its aspects. I mean, playing, collecting, the business. Yeah. Right? I mean, he, that's all he... I mean, watching him, I'm like, holy shit. I mean, he's doing radio shows. He's sitting in on other people's records. He's producing me. He's talking to Gibson. He's marketing shoes. I mean, he's like, he's a maniac. And then he's producing a record and knows everything about the studio. Oh, give me some of this on blah, blah, blah. Put up the PS5. <laughs> you know, How do you know all of this? So, yeah, he's, he's pretty amazing. And his playing, you know, I liked his playing and his rockers, but to sit in a room and listen to him play. No, he can play, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm like, why do you get this? So I'm seeing him pick up different guitars. No amp, no nothing. And the tone and the way he sounds, I'm like, how do you get that? What do you do? He goes, well, it's in your hands. He goes, I, I use a very light touch. I mean, his hands are super strong because a lot of his guitars have like 11s on them. But he goes, no, I use a very light touch. I'm like, Pfft. so that was a Joe Bonamassa tip for me. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get the tip. Yeah. Yeah. He's, it, it, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen him do where he's not on stage and he's just, just sitting with a guitar and just playing is, is pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and you can just tell by everything that's going on that, you know, that his life, you can tell he's not married. <laughs> yeah. Know? And has no children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can tell that because you, you're paying for your kids to go to school and, and so am I. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, he's 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 100 percent in. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It's, it's like there's a handful of guys at the top of the heap that are like that. You know, uh, Satriani mm -hmm. is like that, too. Is he? he is. He's like everything is 100 percent. It's all about it's all about music. It's all about the wow. business. It's all about playing guitar every day, all day. I it's, wish I was like that. I, uh, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> So what, so what amp are you playing into? Are you playing into a Fender Twin? What do you... Actually, I got an endorsement with Orange Amps, and ah. they sent me a few of their amps, and, and they had tubes and stuff, and I was like, eh, tubes. I know, I know guitar players hate me for this, but tubes and I, I had a Victoria for years, which I loved, and it lasted a long time. But after a while, it was falling apart. Because I was hard on it. And I was like, you know what? I need a transistor amp because I don't have a roadie. B, I don't have a road case. Yeah. And something that I know is always going to light up when I'm playing. Yeah. So something loud because at the mind, you're not mic'd. I mean, they mic you, but they don't really. Right. It's so I have a, um, a Crush 120. Oh, okay. Combo 212s. And uh, yeah, I needed that 120. First, they sent me one with like, 45 watts man ain't gonna cut it yeah. so yeah that's what i've been using now but i mean pretty much like you know when i played the house of blues they have the victorias i, I usually ask for twins on the road yeah. i have a roll chorus amp i use uh which i like the little one i use that sometimes so i'm not into like 
I just, I don't know, there's a lot of different things that sound good, you know? I mean, if I could, I'd have a Soldano or a Dumble or an old Marshall from the 60s, but, you know, I don't have any of that, so. <laughs> Orange is good. And now, have you tried the quilters? I know, no, a lot of, I know a lot of blues guys are using them. I know, I've heard nothing. I haven't, and people are like, oh, my God, it weighs nothing, and it sounds great. So, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to look into that. Two pounds. That looks nice. Yeah, they're two pounds. Yeah, I can't believe that. I used to always say that some days they're going to invent an amp that's light and sounds great. And, well, they, here it is. They actually sound, you, you, it's hard to tell that they're not two. You know, if you set them right, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. I got one because of Mike Zito. Because uh, Mike Zito for a while was using them uh, as a backup. You know, in case something happened to his amp on the road. Yeah. So he'd always yeah. have your head. And yeah. I, got, I got one because of that. And then I just started using it at rehearsals. And then, you know, it's like, wow, this is actually really nice. Now I got two of them, you know. Yeah. I think with transistors, if they're well-made and you know how to set it, you're not going to be able to tell. Like People are like, oh, you have such a warm tone. I'm like, yeah, and it's a transistor amp. Yeah. So it's the way you set it, too. And, it, and it's your guitar and a few other things, you know. Right. So do you go into any pedals or do you just go straight into the amp? No, I use pedals. I mean, I did it on the record. Joe was like, nope. We're not using pedals. None of those. No, no, no. And uh, I was like, okay. <laughs> didn't use you know, I, I recorded a few songs without pedals, but usually kind of jazzy. I was yeah. like, okay. He had, um, you know, he had a lot of old vintage amps that could get just the right distortion, you know, but right. I use pedals. I, I like to keep, you know, because I, it's just me. So I like to keep my uh, rhythm really clean. That's another reason I like the transistor amp. You can get clean power. Right. And I use like, chorus on it usually and then I just dirty it up with different um overdrives and I and I learned from Dion that instead of reverb I use a delay and it's just like just a way to set it where it's just enough delay where it's not like you know so that's my three that's the three things I use and that's pretty much it and sometimes a wah wah yeah you know but a huge pedal board no yeah I don't I don't like reverb myself either I like yeah. I like stacking I usually have two or three delays on my pedal board Cause you can yeah. stack them, you know, just a minimal amount on each one. Yes. Make it diverse, but it gives it that fullness without making your sound mushy. There right? you go. <laughs> yep. Agree with you. I look I for have like that conversation with Philip says. <laughs> what did you say? I said, now have that conversation with Philip says. Well, what do you say? He's the king of reverb, man. His reverb oh, is okay. 11, man. Yeah. Reverb. I don't know. It's, it's okay. But I always feel like, like you said, delay can give you that big, I always look for a big tone. I like to have a big wide tone. It's, I don't know. Just, that's what I, not even just loud, just big and full, you know? So that's what I look for whenever I set up an amp. So, and, and you know, that's what, yeah. And I, I did learn that a lot from Dion. He's like, no, 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 use this delay. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It gives it gives you room to breathe, you know. It does because everybody. I think a lot of times when people think of the delay pedal, they think of that long that 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 or those yeah. like U two type sounds or David Gilmore yeah. or whatever, and uh, which is cool too. But uh, they don't realize you can dial that thing back, and it it just gives you the fullness that you need. Exactly, I totally agree. Perfect. So the album is going to release the end of February. Mm -hmm. What's the game plan after that? I, it's funny, 
Joe is, he's a really business minded guy, but he's kind of like, sometimes like, okay, two weeks, we're going to do this. Uh, okay. You know, so I don't exactly know. I mean, we had a plan before the pandemic, uh, you know, started where he was going to back me up with the band from the record at, at like buddy guys and film it. Yeah. But obviously it's not going to happen. Not now. So um, we made three videos uh, a few weeks ago that we're releasing uh, myself. It's just me and a, and a videographer, a team, you know, nice. And we're going to release that. One of them's coming out Wednesday, uh, our single quote unquote. And then I don't, I really don't know. And then I'm doing interviews, but I, I don't know what the, what the plan is after that. And I, I assume as we go along, uh, Joe has like a digital marketing team and uh, uh, mostly I'm doing interviews in England right now for some reason. So yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what's going on. Yeah. Well, we're listening to in England. They listen to. Oh, it. good. Yes. So there you go. Yeah. Cause I actually do a lot of, I just did Alan Nemo from King King. Oh yeah. And Simon McBride. I just did Simon McBride too. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Uh, Kim, Kim Simmons from Savoy. Oh, Brown. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I tell you what, it was a pleasure talking to you. I listened to the album. Mm -hmm. It's, it sounds really good. It, it reminds me of, it reminds me of Chicago. It does. Thank you. Well, then, you know, you're qualified to say that. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, I wish you all the best and I hope that things, uh, you know, get on the road soon. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joanna. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. The one and only Joanna Connors and her new album, 4801 South Indiana Avenue, produced by Joe Bonamassa. It's dropping at the end of February, so you definitely want to make sure that you're going to check that out. I want to thank Joanna for coming on the show and giving us her time. It was much appreciated. You can go to joannaconnor.com and find out all kinds of information on what's going on with her. I think she might have a date or two that's starting to pop up. I know she's going to be at Knuckleheads in uh, Kansas City, I do believe. I don't know. You might want to check it out, you know. All right, now for all you guitar junkies, my uh, guest next week is going to be Andy Timmons. Yeah, Andy Timmons has sat down with me from his studio in McKinney, Texas. Uh, man, extremely cool. All I can say is he's got his guitar with him. So I don't know. That's all I'm going to say is he had his guitar with him. And we were in his studio, and that's all I'm going to say. So you want to make sure that you're tuning in next week uh, where my guest is going to be Andy Timmons. Now, do me a favor. Make sure that you're following me, Jimmy Warren, across social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, Jimmy Warren Radio on Facebook. And then make sure you subscribe to our brand-new YouTube channel, uh, Guitar Talk with Jimmy Warren, because all these interviews are going on there and a lot of them now are video so you can actually watch them you know as well so that's going to be really cool so i appreciate that and also too at guitartalkofficial.com our website we're going to launch a brand new members only section it's going to be called the guitar talk vault and inside the vault is going to be secret cool stuff that only members get we're talking exclusive interviews, uh, bonus content, behind-the-scenes stuff. We're going to get tips and lessons from the pros, you know, like 
Well, what kind of amps are they using? How are they setting things up? How are they getting the tone that they're getting? You know, there's going to be a lot of really cool. Plus, our new series called Hidden Gems is going to be exclusive to members only. And what that is, is an opportunity to be introduced to some amazing players from all over the world that you probably don't know about or should know about. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of content in this members area. It's going to cost $9.99 a month, uh, and it's going to be exclusive to members only. So all this uh, material and videos and content, you know, you're the only one that's going to be able to get it if you join the vault. So you just want to, you know, come into the vault, man. Just, you know, step back and slowly lean forward into the vault, because that's where it's going to be happening. Okay. So thanks a lot for tuning in today to Guitar Talk. I'm Jimmy Warren, and I will see you next week when my guest is the one and only, the amazing, the incomparable, Andy Timmons. See y'all.